So let me start by saying something that is pretty obvious. We are living in a time of heightened anxiety, heightened anger, burnout, depression. There's division on social media, division in our neighborhoods, even division within the church. And it can be easy to look at all this hardship and just fall into despair. So today, we want to do something countercultural, something radical. We want to lighten the narrative by bringing you short snapshots of people experiencing joy. And I can think of few people that I know who are as passionate about joy as my friend, Leandro Lozada. So do, do you know what we're talking about today? We're talking about joy. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about joy a lot. Yes. Why is it such an important topic to you? Well, it all started uh, about maybe 15 or 20 years ago when I uh, went to actually Denmark to visit my dad. And uh, I was a young believer and I was like, I need to like show him that Christianity is different. I need to show him that Christianity is awesome. And uh, so I was like, okay, how do I do that? Well, I need to like be a rule keeper. Like I need to do things right. I need to not lie and I need to not. And I get to Denmark and that plan like fails like miserably because he's a very moral person. I mean, kind of, you know, he has his dirty laundry, but uh, overall he's a person that cares uh, about truth and cares about what's right. So there was nothing in which I had an upper hand on him when it came to, to morality. Yeah. Uh, or when it, came to, when it came to, you know, behaving well, quote unquote. So uh, I came back and I was like, well, well, what do I have to offer him? And I started to think, wait a second, like, I think that Christianity is not necessarily about people who are perfectly moral, but people that have had a transformation in their hearts and something about them is different. And uh, as I tried to understand that, I was like, what is that? What is that? And uh, after thinking through things, I was like, I think that is joy. So joy to me is like the key ingredient that makes a Christian stand out. It's the key ingredient that makes the Christian experience beautiful and wonderful. It gives you peace. It gives you strength. It gives you eyes to see the world in a particular way. One question that I often hear in Christian circles is, uh, what should you believe? Another question that's important among Christians is, uh, what should you do? Those are wonderful questions, very important questions. A question that I don't always hear is, what should you feel? And I believe that the answer to that question is joy. Does that mean that we cannot feel grief? No. Does that mean that we cannot be angry sometimes? No. But I mean that overall, the ultimate trajectory of the Christian life is towards joy. So today, we're going to practice joy. We've got five short stories of people experiencing joy. Stories about family, about laughter, about nature, and about finding delight in the simplest of things. Stay with us. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. Today's episode, Snapshots of Joy. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe.
All right, let's dive into our five snapshots of joy. Our first one comes from one of our own co-hosts, Lachlan Coffey. Here's story number one, undefeated joy. I find joy is something very difficult to bottle up and contain. It's just not designed to be stifled. Rather, it demands an outlet. And if you don't let joy out in some way, it will find a way out somehow. And that's how I found myself one cold February day sitting in front of my television 10 years ago. Let me give you some context. I love movies, but not just any movie. I love good movies. And one way that I find out if a movie is good or not is by the Oscars. So I always watch the Oscars to try to find film recommendations. And it's a tried and true method for the most part, except for the time that the Academy gave an Oscar to Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. I know, I didn't know that either. Jar Jar Binks, guys, has an Oscar. That's crazy. But I digress. One category of movies that I absolutely love is documentaries. And in 2012, the Oscar for the best documentary was to a film called Undefeated. Undefeated follows the true life story of an underdog high school football team in Memphis, Tennessee, trying to turn their luck around. Well, as I do, I took my cue from the Oscars, and the next day, I watched this now award-winning documentary, Undefeated. I normally watch movies with my wife or my kids, but for some reason that evening, they weren't there. So I was left alone in an empty house watching this film. The movie begins with introducing you to several down-on-their-luck high schoolers in the inner city. And of course, it also has their new, very optimistic, opportunistic volunteer coach. And their football field is broke down. Many of their lives are a bit in shambles. Their families are broken in a lot of ways. And they have to band together to do everything in their power to achieve success. And I know it's cliche. You know, that's how every sports movie is. Like, you're rooting for the underdogs. But it's actually really quite inspiring. Well, without getting into any particulars, because you really should watch this movie. The movie builds towards the big game you know, high stakes. And at this point, I invested, I don't know, a little bit over an hour or so watching these young men. And right before the big game, the music is swelling. There's a fervor in the air. I, I don't know what fervor really is, but I, I could sense it. And all of a sudden, by myself with no one else around, an involuntary sentence escaped my mouth. Now, before I share this sentence, I need to note a few things. Number one, I have never lived nor live now in Memphis, Tennessee. Number two, I do not know anyone in the movie undefeated. And number three, I don't have a deep affection for football, let alone high school football. But here I am at the climax of this film, sitting in a recliner, no one else around, out of absolutely nowhere, I say out loud, we can do this. And I remember I heard myself saying it. As it was coming out, I could hear myself saying, we can do this and wondering, who just said we, did I just say we, what, why would I even say that? Like, what do I mean? I mean, the word we implies that it's, it was me plus the team and we're in this together and we have got to do this. I guess the, this is the game and we're all in it to get, I don't know what I was thinking. It was a weird moment. But 
Throughout this movie, I had become so swept away with pride for what these young men had achieved. And that pride had led to joy. And like I said at the beginning, joy just has to come out eventually, even when no one else is there to feel it with you. I'm not going to tell you the outcome of the big game. Go watch this movie for yourself. It's a fantastic film. And maybe, like me, you'll find yourself expressing an outburst of joy, believing that this Memphis, Tennessee high school football team really can do this. Well, with my help, of course. Story number two, big shoes to fill. Our next story actually comes from producer Rachel Zabo. Hey, Rach. Hey, Jesse. Yeah, so um, this story might not sound like a cause for joy for everyone because it actually involves clowns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, clowns can either be like delightful or horrifying. Right, yeah. But for a woman named Lenore Podolsky, clowns are really joyful because she herself is a professional clown. But she'd never aspired to be. It actually all happened on a whim when one day the circus came to town. Well, um, I studied costume design at the Goodman School of Drama, and they were having auditions for Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Clown College. And I don't know if you're listening out there. Somebody said to me, you know, you should go audition. You're sort of goofy. Ah. I was like, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but maybe I should. So I did. And then Ringling holds auditions throughout the whole country. They would hold auditions every arena they would be in. They would hold special ones like the one they had at our college. And they would only take 50 people a year. And of those 50, 10 or 12 might be women. And they said, come on down. I said, well, I'm a coming. So that's Lenore from a conversation on the Gifts for Glory podcast. So Lenore spent the next 10 weeks in Sarasota at Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College, learning how to be a professional clown. At Clown College, we covered a lot of stuff. We learned mime and juggling and all these circus skills because a lot of the clowns who go on the show would need to do other things stilt walking, unicycling. I got to train two dachshunds for a walk around. That's when they are clearing different things in the rings. They have the clowns walk around with something visual while they're, you know, setting up the trapeze or whatever. So I got to train two dogs. But, you know, for Lenore, even beyond the fun of like learning all these skills and how to do these cool tricks, Lenore actually found joy in just having a place to finally belong. When I was growing up, I always had this weird voice people would comment on, and and I always was kind of self-conscious of it. When I got to Clown College, it was like, oh, this is why I have this voice. I am home. Yes. So as a clown, Lenore wears a green and yellow curly wig. She wears big green glasses. And of course, you know, she has the signature painted red nose. I still do clowning, but not too often anymore. 
Um, but I'm an Auguste clown, which is like Lou Jacobs, where it's more flesh-colored makeup and then white around the eyes, not just all white like Bozo. The Auguste is usually the one who's getting bonked with the hammer or tripping over something, and um, that was me. But the highlight of Clown College was actually being part of a CBS television special. So Lenore happened to be there in the year 1987, which was Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey's 20th anniversary. And so CBS came to the college and filmed this TV special in celebration. And the special was hosted by Dick Van Dyke and they showed a bunch of the clowns doing all their stuff. So I got to meet all kinds of people who graduated and I got to meet Dick Van Dyke. I got to be up till four in the morning, you know, pretending to be funny uh, while they were shooting. You know, it was a fun experience. And after graduating from Clown College, you know, everybody hopes to get a job offer with the circus. And that's what Lenore wanted at first, too. But then she actually changed her mind. I did interview for some smaller circuses and I got an offer for one and seriously considered it, but I really liked my apartment. I didn't have money to have my own RV, so I would have had to been on a little room in in an 18-wheeler, they made little bunks, and then you'd get your daily five-gallon bucket of water for your water for the day. And I was like, you know, I, I think I could be funny in a comfortable apartment. Lenore actually went on to be a clown for private and for community events, and she still does clowning, though not very often. She spends most of her time now raising her family and making fun costumes for her two kids. And she's also done some stand-up comedy with Well-Versed Comedy, a Christian comedy team in Chicago. But clowning always holds a special place in her heart because she says it gives her access to be playful and joyful in ways that she otherwise just can't. Clowning, I think, is great because you get permission to play with people. People don't always want to play when you're just a regular person, but they're a little more open to it. I did a a gig once in um, Lincoln Park, and I just was riding my bike to it because I lived in Lincoln Park. And normally, I would never mess with police, right? But I was in my full getup, and he was directing traffic, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play. So I got behind (laughs) him when he wasn't looking, was doing my, you know, mimicking his stuff, and I thought, I'm either going to get arrested or he's going to laugh. And he laughed. So (laughs) that red nose gives you permission to play and people will connect with you in a different level. Special thanks to the Gifts for Glory podcast for Lenore's audio. And you can find them at gifts4glory.com. One expression of joy is, of course, laughter. So here is musician and part-time stand-up comedian Dave Barnes with story number three, Like Manna from Heaven. So a few years ago, my wife and I uh, had just 
had a paver patio built in our backyard uh, in 12th South and uh, here in Nashville where we live. And we're so excited about it because we're going to be celebrating, you know, this fun new little back porch we have. So we're, we're putting up uh, lights in the backyard, you know, the little... Um, you know, like outdoor lights, not Christmas lights, because what am I crazy? It's not Christmas. Okay, listen, back off. Don't judge me. But they were uh, just, you know, like outdoor lights you can get at Home Depot, whatever. And so as we're putting them up, we hear this very unique sound of something hitting the ground. And uh, you'd be surprised at how you sort of know what things are without even knowing by the way they, they hit the ground. We're just used to knowing like, oh, that was a baseball or that was... Um, you know, my phone fell off the desk, or that's my youngest child falling down. <laughs> it's just weird how sort of God made us with this crazy ability to sort of understand by the sound of something hitting the ground what it is. But in this particular uh, instance, Annie and I both were like, what the heck was that? Because it was a really weird sound. It was like, you tell it was small, but it just made a thud that I was very unfamiliar and, and honestly pretty uncomfortable with. And I turn around, and sure enough, it's a piece of fried chicken. Now, for context... There's nothing above where the chicken came from. There's no plane that's flying overhead. There's no second floor. There's nothing that this chicken would come from. And so I immediately have sort of a existential crisis of like, why, why did the Lord gift me? Is it from the Lord, first of all? But why did the Lord gift me this fried chicken? You know, there's a lot of things to infer from this. One, you know, is this him telling me we're about to go through... Uh, a season of uh, famine and like, hey, Dave, you need to bulk up or, you know, was he answering a prayer? I'd prayed about, Lord, should I drop some LBs? And he's like, no, nah, man, you need to thicken up. You know, you're looking good. Just <laughs> let's pack on some LBs. Even more, was it something where some child down the road had prayed for fried chicken and, you know, just some celestial mishap, some heavenly mishap where, you know, Gabriel's doing the arcade arm and somebody tickles him and he drops it two houses too short. And then I get it. And then that kid has a terrible, you know, prayer life for the rest of his life because he didn't get the gifted fried chicken that, and instead I did. And that sort of changed my whole prayer life because now I'm, I'm really believing things that aren't true because of, you know, Gabriel's not good with the arcade arm. Where he hits a button and it drops the chicken too fast. But so Annie and I are sitting there going like, what is this? I mean, you can imagine we're just having this hysterical conversation. We're both laughing like, where did this come from? Did somebody chuck it over the fence? Like there was just no context for where this fried chicken was from. And so we kind of just like laugh about it. You know, we're like trying to guess what the heck happened. And so a couple hours later, you know, we, we're sitting on the back porch. It's it's starting to, you know, turn into night and the sun is setting. And all of a sudden we look over and we see a squirrel is running up the tree with a whole piece of pizza. So imagine the size of a squirrel and then it's pulling a pizza, a piece of pizza up, a full piece of pizza, not a half eaten pizza, up the tree. And I'm thinking... Well, first of all, that's impressive because that would be me like running up a tree with a Honda Accord in my mouth. I mean, that's that's about the proportions here. Maybe not the weight distribution exactly, but pretty close to the proportions. And then I start laughing and I'm like, oh my gosh, I bet you wherever that squirrel got that pizza from is where the fried chicken came from. And then I remembered that we, you know, we had a church that was kind of catty corner to the back of our house. And I thought, you know what? They had a big... Sunday lunch out there and I guarantee you this is just food that got in the trash can and that squirrel hit the mother load of all mother loads and like now he's running a small like mafia ring up in the tree where he's got all this food housed in some hole in the tree and people like 
Listen, Johnny, I just need a couple. Listen, I don't need much pizza, just a couple of bites. He's like, what are you going to do for me? You know, listen, I remember when I needed some nuts, you didn't have... These character voices are sounding a lot like Grease as I do them, which is not exactly my intent. But it made me laugh so because I thought, man, that squirrel is running things in this neighborhood right now because he has found the mother load of human food and is just like, got to be setting up shop. But still to this day, every now and then, you know, I'll uh, see fried chicken and it makes me think of this, uh, you know, Donnie the squirrel who's up in the tree. What do you need? What do you need for me, Frankie? You need a couple pieces of uh, the hamburger? I think it's from McDonald's. You know, it's a couple days old, but still tastes pretty good. But what are you going to give me now? <laughs> we have two more stories to share. So our snapshots of joy will continue after the break. Stay with us. Hi, listeners. It's Anna, media editor. Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. My name is Celeste Eagle, and I am the volunteer coordinator here at Beside You for Life. Beside You for Life is a pregnancy resource center that provides education and holistic care for women facing crisis pregnancies, responding to their needs, and protecting the lives of unborn children. Beside You for Life seeks to provide a safe and emotionally supportive place for women to hear and experience the gospel while being equipped in very practical ways to live productive and flourishing lives. Celeste shared with me how our interns support the work of the ministry at Beside You for Life. In an amazing variety of ways, we have interns who serve in our pregnancy center and serve as advocates for our clients. We have interns who serve in our children's ministry and get to love on and share the gospel with the children of our clients who are with us throughout the day. We love getting to observe the gifts and abilities of our interns and then being able to match that with a need that we have here in the ministry that is fulfilling for us and hopefully fulfilling for the interns as well. If you're a young adult looking for an internship where social action and Christian community meet, check out our website at lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Again, that's lovethyneighborhood.org. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Love That Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks. Today, we're bringing you five snapshots of joy. Here's story number four, 
not a turtle disaster. Or actually, turtly awesome. So this story comes from Johnny Erickson Tata and her husband, Ken. Johnny's actually an author and speaker since the 1970s. She's also a quadriplegic after a diving accident in 1967 left all four of her limbs paralyzed. As you can imagine, life can be very challenging for her at times. But she still finds cause for joy, like when her husband Ken decided they were going to take a vacation. So here's Ken and Johnny in an interview with Haven Today. Ken and Johnny Erickson Tata, you've been married over 30 years. You never take any time off. You're in ministry all the time, but you finally got a vacation, didn't you? Absolutely, Ken. You did. You insisted, didn't you? I did. Johnny worked so hard, so we decided, you know what? We're going to take a real vacation. No ministry. And I surprised her by asking her to go to Hawaii. And uh, we went to the Sheridan Maui, and oh, it was beautiful. At first, I'm thinking, man, I should have brought my computer with me. How am I going to keep up with emails? I kept checking my iPhone, and then my iPhone went dead. And I don't know, it just felt it just felt okay that it went dead. I didn't have to recharge the batteries. But Ken surprised me one day. Um, the second day we were there, he took me snorkeling. Me, a quadriplegic in the ocean. Just, just imagine that, Charles, me lying face down in the water. Last time I laid face down in the water, I broke my neck. Oh no, excuse me, I think I reenacted that one scene for the movie. But still, it was pretty terrifying even then. And Ken got me dressed in my swimsuit. We had a friend along to help. And uh, the two of them uh, manhandled me past the breakers. And my one friend, as we were getting me into the ocean, squealed out of prayer, Oh, Jesus, please let Johnny see one of your sea creatures. Of course, what a prayer. How's God going to answer that? The guy from the Sheridan Maui who was watching, getting me into the ocean, said to Ken, Have you done this before? And I said, No. (laughs) (laughs) We had taken a uh, handicap accessible wheelchair down to the edge of the water and transferred Johnny into the water. The thing that was that we didn't realize, even in an island, there is a current. And so as we waded out into the, to the water, we were getting pushed back by this little current and we got about chest high. Johnny was in between the two of us and, and so we decided we better put this mask on and snorkel quickly, otherwise we're gonna lose time here. And I said, just keep the air hose above the water, just keep it above the water, please. And so he flipped me face down. I open my eyes through the mask and I see a giant sea turtle. Now, Ken, sh- show, show Charles how big this sea turtle was. Well, it's hard to, to describe. With your hands. Well, it's bigger than my hands, the span of my hands. So it must have been maybe four feet in, in length. And the head on the turtle was about this big. I mean, it was this long, the neck, but the head was about this big. I mean, it was a big turtle. What a blessing from the Lord. And this this, this took you back because on your honeymoon, 30 plus years before, you went to Hawaii as well, didn't you? Yes, we did. And uh, never would I have snorkeled then. 
I can't believe that, you know, being 63 years old, Ken would get me in the water to go snorkeling. I was not a pretty sight. Me in a swimsuit with my leg bag and catheter hanging out. But um, you're absolutely right. It was a gift of the Lord, Charles. Five minutes sooner in the water or five minutes later, and he would have swum away. But we just happened to be there. And, and right up near the edge of the water, near the breakers, the sea turtle had just for some reason come close into the waves and I got a chance to see him. That was an awesome wow. memory. And in fact, Ken bought me a gift. Yes, I did. And Actually, this she's is wearing little, it today. She's wearing it today. It's yes. a little necklace with a turtle on it. Uh, a gold turtle. Just a remem right. remembrance of our, our time in Hawaii. All right. Well, I've got to say this because it was said 30 plus years ago, and I'm sure it was said on your 30th anniversary exactly, Ken. Now you may kiss the bride. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. All right, we're down to our last snapshot. This one comes from Lauren Maddox. Lauren is actually our donor relations manager here at Love That Neighborhood. And here's Lauren with story number five, Dream Girl. For as long as I can remember, even when I was little, I had this dream of me being an adult and this little blonde haired, blue eyed girl like dancing around me. And, um, and that was a very constant recurring dream. And I, when I got older and I started uh, to have babies, I thought, well, I wonder if God like gave me that dream because maybe I'm supposed to have a little girl. Well, I didn't ever get pregnant with a little girl. But I still, even after I had both of my boys, still had this recurring dream of this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl running around and, and, and dancing really joyfully. So fast forward several years, and Lauren actually ends up getting a divorce from her first husband. And so several years after that, she ends up meeting a guy. She gets remarried. And her husband's name is Blake. Yeah. So Blake and I, yeah, we are married to each other. And this is our both of our second marriages. Um, my marriage uh, fell apart because of infidelity, and it was really traumatic, my first marriage. And then his first marriage... Um, his first wife passed away of cancer. And so I came into the marriage with two boys and, um, and he came into our marriage with Anna Claire. So Anna Claire is Blake's daughter and now she's seven years old. But when Lauren first met her, she was actually just four years old. When I first met Anna Claire, she immediately started running around me and twirling and dancing. And she has blonde, bright blonde hair and bright blue eyes. And it was shocking how much that scene I had already seen so many times for years. I just could not believe that 
God had been preparing me with that dream of that little joyful, bouncy little girl. He had been preparing me for Anna Claire, not for me to give birth to a little girl, but for me to be with Anna Claire. And of course, Lauren finds so much joy in being Anna Claire's stepmom. But what Lauren didn't know is that that joy was about to be expanded even more. We didn't have the boys this past weekend, and Blake told me that he wanted to take Anna Claire and I out for brunch. And I kind of just thought that it was, you know, he's taking his, his girls on a date, you know, kind of. And we hadn't done that in a while, so I was excited to go. We get there, I get the table, white cloth table, and I need to go to the restroom. As I came back to the table, I noticed that they were kind of whispering to each other. And then I sat down and Blake said, hey, this brunch isn't for you and Anna Claire specifically. It's, we, we have a question that we want to ask you. <laughs> I was still, I hadn't had enough coffee. And I, and I I literally wasn't expecting anything. And I was like, okay. So having no idea what they were going to ask me. And then Anna Claire, she loves carrying purses. So she has like this bedazzled purse uh, that she is taking with her for brunch. And she, out of her purse, she pulls an envelope that she had clearly drawn on and hands me the envelope. And I opened the envelope and she had written on the piece of paper. It's just like blue ink. She loves writing little notes and stuff. Um, it says roses are red, violets are blue. Moms are nice and so are you. And then big letters, will you adopt me? I was 100% stunned. Um, I kind of felt like I was being proposed to again. Really similar feelings. I was really overwhelmed um, in a really good way. And immediately, um, tears just started falling down my face. And I will say, it was funny, like, as soon as I opened it and read it, then the waiter came to take our orders. And I'm like, I can't eat. <laughs> like, so I came there hungry. I'm not hungry anymore because I was just a bundle of feelings. So. I sat there for a second. I just clutched onto the paper and I and I just I grabbed Anna Claire. Blake has pictures of us just holding each other and I and I told her, Of course I'll adopt you, babe. I'm like, of course I will. And that image of that dream that I had had for so long immediately popped in my head, but I'm looking at her and I'm like, This is why God gave me that dream. I was dreaming of Anna Claire my entire life and that dream has been realized in our story now, today. The boys are really excited, too, because they do say stepsister and stepbrother. But um, Samuel, my oldest, said, I'm going to be really excited just to say this is my sister. I still sometimes can't believe this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl is twirling around me. And I, I have not had that dream since I met Anna Claire. She is my joy. She has become my joy and getting to know her, getting to live life with her. And there's just a lot of things I could, I could say about her, but it has been one of the most humbling experiences of my life to be invited into her world and 
even deeper humbling invitation to be asked to be legally fully her mother. Yeah, she is one of my greatest, deepest joys. So that concludes our snapshots of joy. I hope that these stories have reminded you that joy can be found almost anywhere, no matter your circumstances. In the Christian calendar, Advent is known as a season of expectant joy. And our Savior's presence in our lives was announced as good tidings of great joy. And we hope you experience that joy this season. Oh, and one final thing. At the top of the episode, we heard from Leandro Lozada. And five months ago, he actually became a father. So here's 15 seconds of his daughter Mila laughing. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Leandro Lozada, Dave Barnes, Lachlan Coffey, and Lauren Maddox. Special thanks also to the Gifts for Glory podcast for Lenore's story and to Haven Today for Johnny and Ken Tata's story. Today's episode was hosted by me, Jesse Eubanks. Rachel Zabo is our media director, who also recently told me that her greatest wish this Christmas is just to be a contestant on The Price is Right. They said, come on down. I said, well, I'm uh, coming. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Theme music, commercial music by Murphy DX. Apply for your social action internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year. You'll grow in your life skills and your faith. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. Likewise.